0: We were planning to actually do this podcast on Periscope, but I don't think that's going to happen. I haven't set it up. I don't know if you have.
1: No, I haven't. But Chris Ducker just messaged me and said he's going to call me after this call and do it via his Periscope. So maybe you can just let him be the the crash test dummy for that one. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work. So we'll see. Sure,
0: sure. Thank you very much for introducing me to Periscope. Periscope is absolutely awesome. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm really enjoying your sessions. You've been giving great value on your Periscope sessions. James Schramko here from
1: SuperFastBusiness.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com.
0: Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello there, this is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to GetMeToDone.com where you can learn more about the Productive Insights membership program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, we then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success and your time freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at Getme2done.com. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of reintroducing Dan Norris, the founder of WP Curve and the author of The 7-Day Startup. I featured Dan on two podcasts earlier on. It was actually one podcast that I split up into two. Check out episodes 11 where we talked about startups and episode 12 where we talked about content marketing on the Productive Insights podcast. You can check it out on iTunes or you can access it via the ProductiveInsights.com website. Just go to the search bar and type in Dan Norris. Today, Dan and I are going to talk about Dan's new book that's coming out soon called The Content Machine. So welcome, Dan.
1: Thanks for having me. I, I, I knew I'd been on here once before. I didn't realize it was twice. So I think that one call we had was broken into two episodes. Exactly so. right.
0: Exactly right. We'd only been on here once before and it was such a fantastic call that I split it up into two sections because we talked a lot about content marketing towards the end of the call for entrepreneurs and we talked about startups and then I thought, you know, it was such a long call, I'd split it up into two.
1: So am I your first uh, repeat guest? Yes, you are. Right. That's good. That makes me feel good about myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's an honor to have you, mate. And we were planning to actually do this podcast on Periscope, but I don't think that's going to happen. I haven't set it up. I don't know if you have.
1: No, I haven't. But Chris Ducker just messaged me and said he's going to call me after this call and do it via his Periscope. So maybe you can just let him be the the crash test dummy for that one. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work. So we'll see. Sure,
0: sure. Thank you very much for introducing me to Periscope. Periscope is absolutely awesome. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm really enjoying your sessions. You've been giving great value on your Periscope sessions. So if you guys aren't already following Dan, please follow him on Twitter and follow him on Periscope. It's at the Dan Norris, isn't it?
1: Yep, that's it. Yeah, I've been really hooked on it. It's been fun. I've been trying to do it every day. And experimenting with different things like I mean we're talking about content so this is kind of relevant just trying to figure out how to create something useful on this platform that really no one understands yet and no one really knows how to use so it's really cool seeing people like like I like it's probably sadistic but I like people like watching people's first Periscope calls they're kind of looking at this screen and like I was on yours like yours was very good I've seen some disastrous ones But just looking at this screen, trying to work out actually how to use this thing. And and so that's been really fun. I've been doing a combination of just like general Q&A type calls and then uh, structured like idea type calls and then also website reviews, which seem to be going well. So it's been, yeah, it's been really fun.
0: Cool. I'm really tempted to actually just turn on Periscope and do a two minute thing of of us on Periscope, but I can't get myself on the screen. I can get you. Do you want to try (laughs) doing that?
1: Well, it's your podcast. You can try whatever you want. Well, yeah, let's right, try. Okay.
0: It. Let's try. We'll try and make it the first ever podcast on Periscope.
1: Well, I don't, I don't know if that's the case because I, th- I have seen a couple of other people do it. I think they set up a stand. It could be yours and my first appearance
0: on Periscope. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. Dan, you're live on Periscope. So everyone who's dialed in on Periscope, uh, Dan and I are chatting about his new book. And so we're just going to try and do a couple of minutes on Periscope. This is actually a podcast that is coming through on Periscope as well. And I can see that Gordon's on there as well. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, let's get into it, Dan. Let's talk about your book. So you wrote the book to teach people how to write content that people really care about. And I know that you've built more than 20,000, a list of more than 20,000 subscribers on WP Curve through content marketing. You've built that whole business through content marketing. So could you share some insights that you've talked about in the book without giving everything away? We still want people to actually go and buy the book. If you can just touch on some of the topics and why you wrote the book, I'd be very interested to understand that.
1: Well, I'm definitely happy to give everything away. In fact, the first book I wrote, I published pretty much every word from the book in various places on the web before I even put the book out. And it didn't didn't stop people from buying it. And that's the whole thing with content. You need to be confident that whatever you're putting out there in the world is going to be good enough to get people's attention and then build trust with them. And when it comes time to selling something, they will trust you and they'll, they're much more likely to buy from you. And you can't be thinking about, like, should I only put out 50% of this, you know, to, to make sure that people actually want to buy it. Plus, I make bugger all money from the books anyway. I don't, I don't really care if people don't buy it. I just I want the message to get out there. And, and that writing a book is a good excuse to talk about my story and talk about my other businesses and get attention for what they're doing. Just making $3 on a book is not, is not going to change my life. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the themes of it, really, I think it, what it comes back to is like most people who do content marketing don't do it successfully. Like most people, even the people that are really into it, the people are members of the Institute that are doing it all the time. Most of them report that it's not working well for them. So I wanted to look at like why it's not working. First of all, like from a business point of view, like, is there something wrong with your business? You could have amazing content, but if there's something wrong with your business and there's nothing unique and referable about it, then the content's not going to matter. So I talk about that in the book. I talk about the number one reason why I think content marketing fails, which is because people focus on this other stuff. They focus on how much content they're putting out. They focus on writing content for keywords or repurposing content. Like all of these things are like things that you think are important to you, but they don't really get you any closer to what's important for the actual person consuming the content. So this book is about how do you create content that people care about? And if your content marketing isn't working, there's nothing wrong with your business. I'll be willing to bet it's because your content is not the sort of content that people care about. So part of that is tapping into what you're good at. Part is tapping into what's getting traction with your audience. And another part of that is differentiation. And I spend a lot of time on all those things. I have a whole section on differentiation with a bunch of stories from other entrepreneurs who've been able to stand out doing whatever content they're doing, because they've been able to tap into doing something that gets attention, that's a bit different, that and produce something that people care about.
0: So can you talk a little bit more about that? I'm very interested to understand, how do you know what people care about? One thing is obvious that, I mean, people will share content that they care about, I get that, but are there any methodologies or proven ways in which you can figure out what your audience really cares about in terms of content, and how to differentiate it so people are really interested or intrigued by it
1: there's two separate things so the differentiation is like a whole new topic maybe maybe we can get onto that in terms of what people care about I think the first step is just avoiding vanity metrics so so I don't look at even like the views on an article or the traffic the amount of likes it got I don't look at that kind of stuff I don't look at generally the number of comments it gets especially if you've got like one of those blogs where people are just commenting to get a link that kind of stuff I don't look at I look at the qualitative stuff in fact like the metrics. I don't really look at at all. The only real metric I look at is the number of tweets, which is one way of measuring how many people actually share it.
0: So the
1: the difference between someone liking something and sharing something is huge. So if you're looking at like the number of Facebook shares, you're getting the number of likes, the number of shares, the number of comments, you're getting all sorts of metrics that some of them don't mean anything, some of them do. But when you look at the number of tweets, you get a reasonably uh, consistent kind of metric on how many people will actually share your content. And if people are just passively liking it that's nowhere near as good as them actually sharing it with their audience if people aren't sharing it you know some people think maybe they're not doing a good enough job promoting it which is possible but I think more than likely the reason that's happening is because the content's not good enough so you need to understand your audience better and you need to work on creating better content and ignore the other stuff which is like just putting out more there's no point putting out more if the existing stuff is not getting traction So I do look at the number of tweets So and it's the opposite of what most people do. Most people will do, okay, well, I need to do content marketing for longer, so I'll just put out more content. So yeah, metrics-wise, I do look at the number of tweets. I look at qualitative things like what people are saying. I look at what they're saying in the email replies, what they're saying in the comments, specifically the language they use, like are they saying this is a cool post or are they saying "Uh, this is so valuable I've started using this. And then just using my own intuition, like if I write a post on like how to get a guest author for your blog, then I sit there and I think about if this is going to be really useful for someone, then at the end of them engaging with this piece of content, they need to be out there managing guest authors for their blogs. So I need to give them everything they need to do that. It's not like here's an interesting piece of content. It's like how are you actually going to use this and what can I give you in order to let you use it? So we'll give them Trello um, boards for ideas that we'll give them guidelines in Google Docs for them to use to send to their guest writers, to make sure the guest writers have standards to write to absolutely everything they need in order to actually implement the post and start using it. And then you'll find the comments you get are more, this is cool, I've started using this. Um, and that's when people share it. That's, that's when it's a much more useful piece, piece of content than like 10 ways to improve guest authors on a blog, for example.
0: So ultimately, a good piece of content enables a person or moves a person, behooves a person to take action and implement it in some way in their life and actually improve their situation.
1: Yeah, this I mean what I advocate in the book is for people to to tap into what's working for them and because they're not going to be able to do that straight away, I've also delved into what's worked for me and the actionable stuff has definitely worked for me so the first time I noticed was that was I wrote a guide on podcasting and it was like 3,000 words. I told people exactly what they needed to do to set up a power press and all of the different apps you could use for podcasting and expert opinions and absolutely everything I thought that I could give them to do that. And I noticed that, that like actionable content is was huge for me. But, but that's not the only type of content you can do. So I've noticed that stories work really well for me, like when I've told my story. I do that when I present at events. I did that in my first book, The Seven Day Startup. We tell the story of our business via our monthly reports. So stories that people can relate to has worked really well for me. So I, I talk a little bit about that in different frameworks you can use for storytelling in the book. Being contrarian has worked well for me as well. So if I've got a bunch of ideas that are different to the ideas that other people have, I'll really focus on those, build those out more and put them out there, and that's been a good way to get attention for my content. So for the person listening, by all means try what's worked for me, but, but you really need to get to the core of what works for you. So try those things and then really start to understand what's getting traction for your audience and what works for you and do more of that.
0: Okay. There's another really valuable insight you shared earlier on, which is there's a huge difference between someone liking something and sharing something.
1: There's a word for that in the software world, which I've forgotten, but it's like a like when you build a software app, I can't remember the name. It's It's a very basic word, but there's a big difference between people who engage with that app on like a really passive level versus people who engage with it on a really active level. Mm-hmm. So like if you download an app and like... Um, well, actually, I'll give you a perfect example in Periscope. A more of a passive action in Periscope would be sending a love heart. So tapping the screen is pretty passive. It's like, yeah, I kind of like this. A more active thing would be typing out a comment. So there's like this huge void between something that's really simple and something that requires you. There's a lot more friction, requires you to put yourself out there. And so that's the way I see likes and shares. So if you if you put out some content, someone it's it's too easy for someone to click like. I mean, people, 90% of the people click like probably didn't even read it. Um, it's way too easy for them to do that. So so you want to you measure things that are much harder for the users to do. So I use the other thing I do is I use a, a plugin called Discuss for comments, and that introduces a little bit of friction for people to comment on the site because you need to sign up to Discuss to use it. And having that friction there means that it requires extra effort for people, so people who do comment generally will put something valuable in there. And when you get a good comment conversation going, then that's a good sign that your content sort of something that people care about.
0: Sure okay let's talk a bit about who this book is targeted at and you know I think you based on your background you must have targeted it at startups and entrepreneurs is that correct?
1: Yeah I mean I think all of my stuff is really written for people like me because I don't really understand any other world I really just understand like the self-funded sort of startup founder. My first book is is written for that person this book is really no different except that because content is such a broad topic and like big marketing firms you know sp- spend millions of dollars on content marketing potentially they can get some value out of this book as well but really it's it's written for people who want to use content marketing to build a business and i've included business stuff in there as well as content stuff because that's that's kind of both of those things are my passion and i think that's where i can add the most value for people
0: okay And we've already touched on a couple of the key topics you've talked about in the book, which is about how to create content that is shareable and that is actionable and that is engaged with rather than just passively consumed. But are there any other topics you've touched on the book apart from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I spend, so it's sort of broken up into three main sections. The first is just understanding how to create high quality content, tapping into what works for you explaining what's worked for me because that stuff is just super important. The second is differentiation. And so I tell a bunch of stories about people that have inspired me to get into content marketing and like how they got my attention. Like ultimately, if if you want to use content marketing to build a business, then the first thing you need to do is get people's attention. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is by being different. And so the people I chose to feature in the book are people that got my attention, you know, out of a sea of millions of people around the world doing content, And they did that by doing something very specific. So the second half of the book delves into about six or seven different stories about those people. I can talk about any of those if you want. The third part of the book is called Building the Machine, and that talks about scale. So this this comes from a point of view of, if you're going to be an entrepreneur and build a business, then really what you want to be doing is to build systems and work your way out of the business. And to me, you should be doing the same with content. You should be building systems around that content, using frameworks to make things easier, eventually employing people or getting guest writers to do the content for you. And so the last section of the book gives people a whole bunch of resources and frameworks they can download and use to scale their content marketing and sort of build themselves out of the process if they want to.
0: I totally agree about building a system which eventually makes you redundant and that's the whole point of entrepreneurship and I agree with that philosophy translates across to content creation as well. And Somebody I worked with who trained me to write was John Morrow from Copyblogger and one of the things he said in terms of standing out from a sea of voices was, think of yourself as a street performer When you're writing content not someone who's just delivering value and that really struck me and i think that it's very important to grab the person's attention at the very start of your blog post or with your headline it doesn't mean to say you don't create high value content in the body of the post, it has to deliver on the promise. But you've got to really jolt people out of their state of passive disinterest with which they tend to surf the web with their finger on the back button of the browser. So you've got to be able to snap them out of it.
1: Yeah. And so many people are buying this are finding this content, you know, on Facebook and Twitter and in places where like you're literally competing with BuzzFeed Hmm. for people's attention. And BuzzFeed are the masters of snatching attention away. Headlines is, is a good one. There's one framework I have in the book, which is like how, so, so I have a bunch of frameworks that take you from how do you get a bunch of ideas, how do you turn those ideas into blog posts. One of them is about the multiplier framework where, where you take one sort of topic and you multiply that into 11 different pieces of content and part of that is, okay, so, so the example I use is WordPress Speed. So it's cool to have an article on WordPress Speed, but how do you make that into something that someone really wants to to click on. Uh And you can break that up into a couple of different types of posts. You might do a guide, you might do a how to and how not to, You, you might do a case study, there's a whole bunch of different ones you could do. But then you need to take it a step further and say, like, how will I get people's attention with this particular example? So like, what can I include in the title that is either different to what they're currently thinking, or it's addressing some sort of objection? Or it's it's you know using a, a big name influencer that they can relate to oh. that, that will get their attention. So what are these little hooks that you can put into the title of a piece of content as the final thing you do before you decide to write that content? So that's like a framework that I give away in the book. that's that's one of, one of the examples. So yeah, the headlines really important. And then but like the other point you made, It's not just about the headline. You do need to deliver something valuable in the piece of content as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. Demian Farnworth is a fantastic writer, and he works for Copyblogger too, and he talks about making a very good promise in the headline, but then the article has to deliver on the promise. (laughs) Uh, Something that really works well with headlines, I've found, is how-to headlines or mistake headlines. People sort of respond to those. Again, you want to be able to really deliver. For example, I wrote an article on lifehack.org called Seven Mistakes Your Brain Makes and How to Fix Them, which was really popular. But I made sure that I followed through and actually made sure they were all genuine mistakes that we tend to make in our everyday lives rather than just put that in the headline and then not deliver in the article because that will really upset the readers and they won't come back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you're making – and if you can be more specific – As well, like...
0: Specificity, absolutely. Yeah.
1: If if you're sort of making the audience member feel like they're missing something or that they're making some kind of mistake, then it gives them a reason to hook them in to read the article. Mm. The other thing that works well is like addressing their objections. So a really simple example could be with the WordPress speed example, rather than saying, you know, how to increase your WordPress, the speed of your WordPress site, you would say three simple changes... From increasing the speed of your site, that don't compromise the quality of your design or something. Mm-hmm. If you think that the first thing people are going to think when they see a headline about increasing your speed is, oh, I don't want to worry about that because I'm really passionate about design and design's the most important thing, and you know taking all the images out is going to screw up my design. Then if you can give them something like like if you if you're pitching that to designers and they're thinking that way, if you can give them something that immediately flips that, then you've got their attention. And, and they're much more likely to read that article.
0: Similar thing could apply to productivity. For example, you could say how to get more done in your day without increasing your stress levels, which will be the first objection that comes up in people's minds. If I get more done in my day, am I going to get more stressed? Or am I going to end up with an aneurysm, a brain aneurysm or something?
1: This is like copywriting 101, but a lot of content people don't, don't pay enough attention to copywriting, which I'm sure you're not one of if you've checked out a lot of, of copyblogger stuff.
0: Mm. But um, yeah, yeah. I'm a copy blogger authority member. I'm a big fan. I love that stuff. I geek out on it. Okay, so um, yeah. let's talk about some of the challenges. Then this book helps the reader solve. Again, we've touched on quite a few of those. The main challenge I understand is it helps them to understand how to create content that is shareable, that is actionable, not just something that is going to be passively consumed, and to do that in a quick and efficient way, and then systemize the process so that they can hand over the process to a team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the like ultimately the, the challenge is that most of the readers reading it, I think will have their own business. They would have heard of content marketing that they want to grow their business. They want to use content to do that. I wanted to release a book that was going to be the most actionable book for that type of audience that's ever been released. I hope that that's the case. You never know. I, mean, I never know how good something is until I launch it. But so ultimately the goal is for them to, to use it to build their business. And I think the, the content marketing institute say that I think thirty seven percent of content marketers aren't happy with their results. So I mean, if I can get the people reading the book to, you know, be happy with their content, get results from their content, grow their business and ultimately build build it in a scalable way, which enables them to do other things and them to treat their content like a business, then then the book will have been successful.
0: Tell me, Dan, where do you find your best writers? Because I've actually had some challenges finding writers that are good native English speakers, but at the same time, not charging very high rates. I'm very interested to know if you've found a good resource for that.
1: Well, the ability, I mean, my approach on this is probably very different to that, which is we are very happy to pay for people to write our content. We've got really strict procedures around that. I don't know. It it seems like if you're trying to get like cheap content written, and your only criteria is, like, can you speak English, then you're almost doomed from the beginning.
0: Exactly. You need um, a native English speaker, I think, for it to be a conversational piece. Well, there's,
1: there's, no, there's no doubt about that. But, but more than that, you need someone who knows how to create good content, which is very, very rare. Right. And even the people that do know how to create good content, you still need to help them with systems and with frameworks and with style guides and with support to make sure that what they create for your site is going to be as good as what you can create for your site. And this is not easy because most people, even content marketing experts, regularly create content that isn't any good. Mm-hmm. And so it's not an easy problem to solve, but you solve it by the combination of a lot of frameworks and a really high standard for your site. I've got a full-time content manager, manages all of our content and manages all of our guest posts. I, I would be doing it if I didn't have him. I was doing it previously, but I wrote all of these procedures to make that process better. I have extremely high standards and you need extremely high standards. You can't just put shit on your site. You, you you need to be aiming for like a breakout success with every piece of content. Right. So having high standards where you find writers everywhere. Like I've, I just put a thing up in my content machine Facebook group today because we want some more guest writers. And I had a bunch of replies from other entrepreneurs. We pay writers. We have people reaching out to us. We've tried some article uh, article writing services with not much success. We've trawled through other blogs that have guest authors Look for the best posts and the best freelance guest writers, contacted them and offered to pay for them to write on our blog. We've got three or four – we've probably got two or three guys who write one post for us every month, and they're proven to be good. They've got good results for us before, so that works really well. But, yeah, there's no simple answer, but combining all of those things, then I think we've gotten to a place where half of our content is written by guest authors, and the quality is no less than it was when I used to do our content.
0: Fantastic. How many pieces of content do you produce?
1: the – one of the genesis for writing this book was just the fact that I stopped doing content for WP Curve um, about six months ago. I've only written one post on the site and no one really noticed. And that was a big thing for me. I think a big, big point of differentiation where like it's okay for, to, for someone to write a book about content marketing, but if they're doing all of the content themselves, then you haven't really built something that can scale. So, so we've been able to exit the kind of the, the face of the blog from the process. And so that I think is valuable for people. Uh, but, mm. but I interrupted your question, sorry.
0: Oh, my question was how many pieces of content do you guys produce per week? We normally do 10
1: per month. Wow, okay. Um, but that's that's a full-time content manager and him managing the process for guest writers, which often isn't necessarily any quicker than him writing his own content. I think you could do a lot more depending on who the person was, depending on how they worked, depending on the type of content. But, like, all of our content is, like, thousands of words long. We want it all to be high-impact content. We don't put any filler stuff on there. So, so that's why we only do 10 a month, which I think is, is, is well and truly doable. If there's a full-time person managing it all, you could probably do 50 a month if you just wanted to write lots and lots of content, but, but it probably wouldn't get the same traction.
0: And is it all just written content, the 10 pieces, or is it some podcasts as well and videos and so on?
1: No, I experimented with the idea of doing our own podcast, but what I learned from that is doing written content was a lot easier for me to manage the quality of. So it took Kyle a while to get up to speed with the kind of quality expectations I have. And so there was a me involved a lot early on, just like drumming this into him, like having really strict guidelines and, you know, fixing one pixel on images, just getting everything really good. I, we did one pilot episode for a podcast and I just, I couldn't have any control over that. It just like, I didn't really enjoy it that much. It it didn't really seem like the same sort of vibe that we have on the blog it didn't seem to be that different. It wasn't differentiated enough. It was just an interview podcast. I couldn't really influence the quality of it, so we decided not to do it. But I do lots of podcast interviews, and but I have lots of projects that I work on, not just WP Curve. I have lots of different businesses and books and whatnot, and I see that, like, my podcast interviews as something that I enjoy doing, and it helps WP Curve. It helps all my other businesses, but if I stop doing them, then the business is going to be fine, so it's not really a core part of our content strategy.
0: Okay. And what are your thoughts about the future of video content? As I understand it, 74% of content is going to be video-based by 2017. I'm
1: not very bullish on video at all for like the average content marketer. I see a lot of people doing video, they get a lot of attention. But in terms of using it to build a business, I think it's, it's actually not that common because I think a lot of people are not particularly good at video. It's really hard to get good at video. And a lot of people are doing content that they're not good at which is a disaster it's never going to work if you do something you're not good at right. it's much easier to produce high quality writing i think and it's a much easier process to manage writing i've found is much better for backlinks and general sharing people can skim it it's much easier to consume so if you want to build an authority site i think it's hard to do that on video i think things like podcasts are good for certain things but they're not good for backlinks particularly and they're not they're not particularly good for on-site comments or uh, on-site traffic, they're, they're good for relationships and overall brand awareness, stuff that's hard to measure, good stuff but stuff that's hard to measure. I, I like written content and that's also part of that is what's worked for me. So so definitely do what works for you but don't just jump into video because X percent of people, you, you know, say that that's going to be the next big thing. I think, I think you need to tap into what works for you, what you enjoy and, and, and what's going to get traction, what you can do to a high standard at a really high quality level, to do something that people care about. But but video stuff, like definitely the live streaming stuff is super interesting to me. So I'm obviously spending a lot of time on Periscope, checking that out. And that, I think that is definitely going to explode. Whether or not that's the right format for people listening to this though is a totally different thing. Sure. You know, Periscope just might not be your thing, but definitely that kind of stuff is going to explode for sure.
0: Absolutely. And you know, you made another very good point, which is related to what we talked about at the start of this conversation, which is just because 70% of traffic is video doesn't necessarily mean it's engaged traffic and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to build your brand. You need to go back to focusing on what you're good at, as you said, and producing it in the medium that you're comfortable with and that is going to drive most traction to your business.
1: Yeah, traffic is a shitty metric. I mean, I mean, it's it's cool to say, like, I've got this much traffic, but it, it just means nothing. I, I think the... The, the benefit for something like video would be authority if anything I mean the type of traffic you get from YouTube I don't know I don't know if like busy it depends on your business too but I don't know if like really busy entrepreneurs are sitting there watching videos all day perhaps they are I don't know but I think definitely things like video and audio and live streaming are really really good for authority and trust there's there's no doubt about that you you can't measure it you can't definitely can't measure it with traffic but they're really good for authority and trust if they're done well I mean if they're not done well, they could do the absolute opposite just as easily. They could totally kill your credibility, totally kill your authority just because you're doing something to a really low standard. If you're supposed to be an expert in something, you're doing these videos that suck, then it's going to kill your authority and kill your credibility. So people definitely should think about that. Like what's the, what's the kind of stuff they're doing well and and do that as opposed to trying to tap into a trend that that may or may not suit them. Absolutely. Great point.
0: So uh, what sort of action steps do you recommend for listeners that they can take to take their content marketing to the next level? Any parting thoughts?
1: Yeah. Other than self-serving stuff, like buy my book and download all my <laughs> frameworks and get on Facebook and join the content machine Facebook group and chat about content marketing with us all day long.
0: And follow you on Periscope.
1: Um, yeah. And follow me on Periscope at the Dan Norris, T-H-E Dan Norris. Other than all that extremely <laughs> self-serving stuff, I think consuming a lot of content is good. So, and but also... Really understanding what good content is. Like a lot of people listen to podcasts. Listen to the full range of content. Listen to interview podcasts. Listen to other podcasts. Just talking. Listen to like documentary style N- NPR type podcasts. Do the same thing with every form of content. So Periscope. Watch one of my calls. Watch someone really outgoing and passionate.
0: Like passionate, Chris Ducker.
1: Like like Chris Ducker. And uh, or watch someone like I've been watching this lady, Lynn Rose, who just does a like a connect cast where she reads people's profiles and connects them up. It's all ad lib. So watching a whole bunch of different Periscopes is going to give you a good idea to how to create good stuff. Exactly the same with written content. Um, Read lots of amazing blogs. And and I talk about my favorite ones in the book. Um, Think about your favorite ones before you start your blog. Like what are the types of blogs you want to be like? What inspires you? Then just start creating content and just constantly ask yourself how it can be as good as whatever blog that inspires you. When I started, my thing was how do I create content that is better than Kiss Metrics because Kiss Metrics is an amazing, actionable content guides. Neil Patel is a guru. Hopefully he's writing the foreword to the book. Um, <laughs> cool. So that would be cool. He was on the um, very
0: first episode of this podcast as well, which is pretty cool.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's so he's awesome. So he so he was like my guy. He was like, okay, I want to create content better than Neil Patel, and yeah. that's what I'm gonna set myself a goal. And if I wasn't getting traction on that content, then I would just keep working on it until I felt it was better. And then I put it out there and make sure I'm getting feedback from the audience that tells me that it's better. And so that, I think that's what, what your audience who are listening to this can, can take away from it.
0: Cool. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, of course, they follow you on Twitter, at Norris. Uh, any other ways you would like them to find out about you or your book? If they want to buy the book, I'm assuming it'll be on Amazon <laughs> soon.
1: Yeah, uh, contentmachine.com is the, the domain for the book. There's a landing page up there that at the moment uh, just goes through to the Facebook group. But it'll be on Amazon. I think August 10th is the date I'm launching, August cool. 10th, 2015. So I don't know when this will come out, but it'll be on Amazon. It's, it's only going to be a few dollars. My last book I think was like $4 for Kindle and maybe like $12 for the soft copy. So, yeah, you can buy that if you want. All all the resources for the book I'll be putting up on contentmachine.com for free with no email opt-in. So even if you don't buy the book, even if you don't want to subscribe to anything, then you can just go up there and grab it. And the Content Machine book is completely free. Oh, sorry, the Facebook group is completely free. So you can jump in there as well.
0: Facebook group is great, yeah. by the way. I really enjoy it. I'm part of it, so it's fantastic. Thank you.
1: Ah, oh, cool. That's good. Yeah, it's it's really taking off. So that's really fun being part of that and and helping other people create a good hand and them sort of inspiring me and and vice versa has been really cool as well.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Dan. It was fantastic having you back, and uh, I can't wait to see how the book goes.
1: Cool. Well, I might have to write some more books so I can keep coming back and like hold that record of being the most uh, a common person on your yeah mate,
0: i'd love to have you anytime man all right thanks man take care and get well soon thanks see you buddy thanks for listening to the productive insights podcast you can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on productiveinsights.com you can also ask questions in the comment section that ash personally answers how can ash help you today?